Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience, a podcast confronting current events, politics, comedy, and calamity, all from the perspective of a trans titaness. She's a verbal black belt, skilled in the art of roasting, the hellmouth, doomsayer, CEO of the Amazon position. Here's your host, Cameron Ellen Terrell. Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience. I'm your host, Camrayeen Eileen Maharet Jarrell. Say it with your whole chest, or I'll strand you at a local mall with no bus tokens. This is Tranos and the Lived Experience, the show that begged mom and dad to leave me at the mall because I didn't want to go back to Trauma House. This show is brought to you by the meeting of marijuana and music. Today's song that should take you back in time is Journey's Second Wave. Um, The strain is um, something a little different, something that we've all probably tested before if you're in your 40s. It is a 1994 vintage Snodgrass swag, the strain unknown. Why? Because you were 14 and you were buying seeds and stems, you fucking idiot. That's why. (laughs) Today's episode is Mall Rats, and I have a very special guest. Introduce yourself. This is Arwen Kafke of the Cardboard Time podcast, and that was Separate Ways by Journey. Ah, sorry about that. No worries. By Journey, because I'm weird. The ultimate ultimate, uh, mall song, as far as I was concerned, like that just brings me back. It's, It's so evocative of that era and time period that... Anytime that I hear that song, it just takes me right back to that place. Song, my mall song of uh, choice that brings me right back to the mall is really cliche. It's Time Flies. Who's who's that by? Oh, God, how could I forget? Um, uh, Tears for Fears. Oh, oh. They played Time Flies in the, in the malls here like it was brand fucking new. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> and it like you got the you had every version of it. You had like the the salsa style cuz everything was well being salsa infused back then. Mm-hmm. So then you had like the the waltz version of it where it was slowed down and there were no words. Then you had the instrumentals, you know, department store music, mm-hmm. you know. The good like, stuff. Yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like can you tell me a time where you might have come into contact with department store music? Uh, where you were the first time you noticed what it was yeah so so basically you can go and listen to it anytime that you want by just typing in vaporwave into youtube and people still make it uh ironically but they still make it it was really kind of prevalent and i first started hearing it when mom would take me to the department store and we would go clothes shopping for the clothes i didn't want or (laughs) you know i was helping her you know, pick stuff out and that she would look for my opinion. And it it was like, I've heard this song before, but it's not the song that I've heard. And it's this weird, slowed down instrumental version of this weird song. And it just seemed it, it was creepy yet intriguing at the same time. It was like elder synth pop. Yes, yes. <laughs> It was like Elder Sims Pop. The first time I heard this stuff, 
I, I was uh, just explaining to Arwen uh, my first initiation into malls because the, the whole reason why we're doing this episode is because I realized as a 42 year old that I lived through the mall era and that there are people alive today that have never stepped foot in one yeah uh, it was a bustling, like the late 80s, uh, capitalism was on the rise, coveted and uh, subjugated neighborhoods became bustling areas of commerce. And how that started was with malls. Malls were just like spaces where like capitalism reigned. If, if there is a mythical Jesus, um, if there is a Jesus, he would have walked in and been appalled as a motherfucker. It was like excess. It was late 80s excess and early 90s leisure and one building. Like, mm -hmm. So here in Rochester, we have a couple of malls. We had a Rondequoit Mall, which was fairly young. It was built like probably in like the early 90s. It was like a big deal for Rochester. Um, we had Long Ridge Mall, which then became Grease Ridge Mall, which is that's what it is currently. Then we had Marketplace Mall, which is now Medley Center, which is just weird. Oh, they changed the name of it? Yeah, it's Medley Center. Okay. That's weird. Interesting. Um, and I never saw a mall until I was 11 years old. Malls were popular here in the late 80s, but I never got to one until I was 11. And I was in the throes of I was a, a boxer, a young boxer, amateur boxer. I fought a kid in front of a JC Penney's for a tournament that was held by the PAL uh, of Greece, which was a suburban like recreation boxing school or some shit like that. And I boxed in the inner city for a place called Montgomery Boxing Club, which was ran out of the basement of a church. Uh, These people had like the fucking facilities and all that other stuff. So they were able to like rent a space in the middle of the mall in the hallway. And it was my first time seeing a mall and my first time coming into contact with department store music because while I was getting hyped up by my boxing coach to destroy a child. <laughs> in front Tears of Annie Ann's pretzels. Right, in front of Annie Ann's pretzels adjacent from Payless Shoe Stores. <laughs> I was uh, getting hyped up, getting my hands taped and my muscles iced to knock out a child while listening to like synth pop instrumental Tears for Fears. <laughs> And I was just amazed at like how like white people had it so easy because we had bodegas and corner stores and like we had like we seen department stores, but we never seen department stores clustered together. Mm -hmm. So it was just a lot for me. And I didn't get to really get into malls until I was around like 11 or 12. And that's when I got to go to Grease Ridge Mall for the first time and see it like in its entirety now how what was the trip like for you to the mall like what was it like for you on a, like, like a saturday what was a saturday at the mall for you so it, it really depended on where i was uh we had a local mall that was called the lockport mall and that's where i grew up and it was like a, a t-shape with your anchors on the uh you had montgomery wards on one end which a lot of people won't know what the hell i'm talking about and then you had amanes which i think was local to buffalo and then on the other side was hills um hills. the department store which later became an ames um, oh, okay you know so it was uh it was a very small mall you know plus shaped you had like a, a main entrance and then you could go in through the the uh, anchor stores as well. So if I was there, I was usually hanging out at Aladdin's Castle, uh, which was the local arcade. 
going to the record store to get, you know, tapes or CDs, you know, whatever was in at the time. So CDs later in my life, uh, grab a slice of pizza, you know, my mom would go shopping and I'd go along with her, that kind of thing. So that was, that was usually it for that. If I wanted to go get video games, that was a trip up to Buffalo. And oh, okay. that was either Eastern Hills Mall, uh, which was the smaller of the two malls that we used to go to in Buffalo. There was also uh, Walden Galleria, which if you were going there, that was like the big deal. It was two floors, uh, still the really the main mall that is still existing and kind of thriving in Buffalo right now uh, is Walden Galleria. Oh, okay. So so that was like EB Games, Babbage's, Electronics Boutique, uh, that kind of thing. That's that's where I'd go. Now, look, another question. Uh, do you consider yourself a mall rat? What's the definition of mall rat for you? To me, like a mall rat is anybody who goes to the mall on a regular basis, spends money and time and a considerable amount of time. I do consider myself a mall rat because it was it was like a, a focal point of, hey, let's go here and do this activity. Some people might consider mall rat somebody who just went to the mall and loitered and quote unquote spent their entire day, you know, at the arcade and getting pizza and hanging out with people and that kind of thing. Um, but my definition was kind of more like, hey, we went to the mall and spent, you know, four or five hours there. And I really enjoyed that. And I want to go back again tomorrow and do the same thing because your options were so, so wide. And, you know, the eighties was consumerism at its, its peak. Yeah. So that was, that was like, oh, I feel so good by spending money here. And that's kind of what it was for me, like getting a new, you know, video game or, a uh, new CD or tape or whatever. I was the other side of the pendulum. Uh, my uh, definition of mall rat was there was a group of kids. I, I've always been a weird one, so I always gravitated towards the weird ones. Uh, we were like the quintessential like emo, like hurt harmed ch like children who were like edgy and we were like super cool amongst our circle. We were really fucking corny and broke. Uh, we would go to the mall every day because we had nothing better to do. Like, we literally would have enough money to get to the mall, and that was about it. I would get on the bus because uh, my parents uh, wouldn't take me anywhere. Shout out to my mom and dad for not owning a vehicle at the time that was reliable enough um, or having the time to actually spend with us. Shout out to the neglected cons. You know what I'm talking about. So I would get a dollar 25 which i would have to like oh i'm not gonna buy milk for a week at school <laughs> and i'm going to i'm going to like i'm just gonna drink water with my lunch all week and i'm gonna save a quarter so i can catch a bus and buy a return which back then was 10 cents so you catch the bus and from my part of the city in inner city rochester to grease ridge mall was like an hour ride because you had to like ride downtown. Mm. Then you had to wait 30 minutes for a bus to go to Greece. Then you'd have to wait for it to drive to every stop 
yep. on its way. And then the last stop would be at the Greasers Mall. So I would get up on a Saturday at like 7, 7.30 in the morning, get all fucking like emo glammed out, makeup, all that other shit, black fingernail polish, uh, to go sit in the mall all day. The ride, by the time I got there, I'd get there probably around like 9.30, 10 o'clock. That's when the morning's starting. You got to make sure you go to the food court. You got to catch a breakfast sandwich. You got to try to get it for as cheap as possible. So you order it with literally just meat on it. Yep. <laughs> like, I just, I don't want anything else. I just want meat. How much does that cost? And they were like, oh, it's a dollar. I'm like, oh, it's a dollar. That's steep. <laughs> so I would buy like a steep uh, dollar breakfast sandwich. And um, then I would chill at the food court, like, and loiter because I bought a singular thing in a water until my friends would start to congregate around me. Then we became the weirdos at the table in the middle of the food court. And then we would be told, you need to go buy something. You need to go to stores. So we would disperse amongst the, the mall. We would go to Hot Topic or Spencer's because everybody needs, like, rubber poop. We'd all go in there and laugh at Always. it. <laughs> um lava lamps and yeah that, lava lamps that that ball that you could put your fingers on and the electricity would go out towards it i always that wanted one weird of adult corner with the boxes with no labels on them mm -hmm. <laughs> everything smelled kind of like plastic <laughs> um, it, it was uh, distinctly separate from the black light corner uh right. you had to keep those two separated because yeah, you got to keep that shit because yeah. it's too evocative yeah so we would like stop at hot topic which all of us at least at one point during our mall rack um era worked at at some point in time like i worked there as much as i possibly could i'm sorry um i'm gonna admit to some crimes now uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh as a mall rat being at the mall is not only about hanging out with your friends, but it's about the scam. It's about the scheme. Something for nothing. Believe you me, I was underpaid at Hot Topic. I worked long hours. I sometimes was scheduled when I was supposed to be at school, but I got my money's worth out of working there. <laughs> like all the corn t-shirts I could wear. <laughs> All the corn t-shirts I could wear, all the like um uh pui like pui uh shell ne pui shell necklaces made of oh, hemp. God. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of scully hats hats with brims. And for you who don't know what a scully is, it's your winter hat with a brim. I was that kid who had like the um immature like uh baby goatee. And the brimmed hat with the big leg jeans. Um, a shout out to Hot Top once again. I'm admitting to committing a crime. Uh, Kickwares were about $60. Not for me. <laughs> it's a scam. That's fair. That's fair. That, our day was about like seeing how much stuff we could do for free at the mall. You go look at the fish. Um, if we uh, bothered enough people and got change from enough people collectively, we could share a pizza. <laughs> like it was... It was cool for us because it was a play way for us to kind of like get away from being poor in a place that was like completely about capitalism. So we made the most out of like, oh, between like the four of us, uh, we made eight dollars a day. We ate, we drank, we got to like do fun stuff and then we had enough money to go home. The mall was like a, for me, it was just to get away from my neighborhood. My neighborhood was rough as shit. To be able to just get on the bus and go was cool. Now, I do realize in retrospect, my parents just let me run roughshod because they just didn't generally parent that way. They were both in the middle of addiction. So it's just cool to hear about other people's perspectives from that time. Like, once again, explaining this to people who have never been to a mall, it just it 
it seems like it's something only another person who's been to a mall would understand. So, like, um, what was your favorite place to go in the mall? So, the place I wanted to go to was the Deb, which I always would walk past and see, like, especially around prom time and homecoming time. I'd always see the dresses in the window and be like, I should be going in there, but I'm not. And oh, can you explain Deb? Deb was like a teenage girl's uh, clothing paradise. Um, oh, okay. You know, so you would go in there, you'd get all the latest fashions and stuff like that. And they'd have huh. the the window and it was like a sea of neon pink. The, the logo was this, and you can look it up on Google to kind of see what I'm talking about um, for all the listeners out there. But it's this blocky text and it just said Deb and it was neon pink and it had like the little black center line stripe through the letters okay. and it was so 80s and <laughs> so amazing so you, you'd see all of that and be like i wish i could go in there but my you know, it's it's not a place that i'm supposed to be so okay. you know i'd walk past that and then go to aladdin's castle which is how i dealt with you know, be in trans yeah. in the 80s and 90s, um, you know, because uh, trans adults were once trans kids. And I, I, I spent so much time there and a lot of quarters and my parents would limit me to a couple of bucks, you know, and say, okay, budget your money, do what you want to do. And I'd have to pick the games I wanted to go to. And you'd have the expensive games that moved and, you know, Afterburner and all that and be like, that shit's too expensive. I'm not doing that. The rich kids from up the street would would have to do that. We were kind of middle class at the time. And it really, that was like my main hangout was, was Aladdin's Castle and being in that arcade and just hearing the sounds was appealing you know, the smell, that carpet, you know, that weird carpet with the black lights that glowed and had all the weird patterns on it. And yeah, like that, like that, like weird, like it almost it smelled brand new, but it was treaded on by children millions mm -hmm. of times. Mm -hmm. So it was like a brand new funk. Yeah, exactly. It was like a mildew. Yep. New mildew, but clean. Right. It was weird. Um, like our arcade had like the planets and stuff on it and it glowed in the dark and uh, it was called uh, Time Out. Which, what was the name of your arcade? Aladdin's Castle. Aladdin's Castle. Yep. But yeah, that sounds, that's a way better name than Time yep. Out. Ours yep. was just like 80s letters and it was red and it said Time Out and it had like the solid zero on the out that had like four claw marks in it for no reason. It was just weird. It made no sense. It's being edgy. And, <laughs> right. And instead of it saying like Time out it was just like time out it was like they made it one word it was just all together and clustered so weird. and when you walked in there it was always black light there was always some dude in there but like not to get off of the question my favorite place in the mall was burger king okay and here's why children uh, i'm about to tell about another crime oh boy <laughs> so if we got it if we had a really good day that day uh, we like begged for enough change, bothering enough people at the doors, opened doors for people enough and they tipped us because that was a thing back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. You opened the door for white people. Some of them would give you money. <laughs> like if you held the door for them for longer than you should, 
some of them will turn around and like here's a a, a shilling waif here is a shiny <laughs> nickel for you or a ruble for you you hedgeborn <laughs> um <laughs> so you i would go to we would get like let's say let's say twenty dollars we would make twenty dollars collectively now there's four of us we would walk to burger king and we would order four hamburgers no pepper and then a young individual would come from the back with a tray with a burger box in it and he would pass it to us and then he would take the money and then not return it to the register <laughs> and we would go and we would not sit in the food court, but we would go to the back hallways, which you could reach by going through those doors that only employees are supposed to go through. You know, the ones that say you can't be back here unless you work here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we would just go through those because we don't listen to rules. And we would um, then cut through the mall using that pathway to go the back way to get to the convenience store that was by the food court, the other side, instead of walking across the food court, we had to be cool. So we go there and we would get these things called the zigzags. They cost 75 cents. And you got a pack of 25 joint rolling papers. And when you opened that box of four hamburgers, hold the pepper, it was a 1994 vintage Reggie Miller weed. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite space in, in the mall, and this shows which one of us was the, was the, the bad seed. <laughs> Um, was the place where I was able to buy marijuana at 12 and 13 years old. It was Burger King. I bought my, my first time, my first time dealer um, when I was like, I want to say I was 13 going on 14, was literally the assistant manager at the mall in Greece of Burger King. And we would go there and we would roll joints in the back tunnel and we would smoke joints. And then we would just um, watch these um, security or mall police chase us around the mall for hours knowing that we were going to come back a week later and do the same fucking thing. <laughs> we were the troublemakers. Like as mall rats, I felt like it was my duty to be a troublemaker. <laughs> That's just entertainment though. I mean, you know, it's taught, it's, it's a way to spend your day and, you know, chasing you around the mall. It's exercise. It's, <laughs> you know, being, being entertained for a couple of hours, trying to, you know, evade them. I, right. That's good shit. Like running into stores, like running into the science shop and finding out I really liked science. Mm -hmm. It happened because I was running away from a security guard who was chasing me for smoking marijuana in the mall. Like, yeah, like there was those weird times where like I would go to the mall and I would have those uh, dysphoria moments too. Like working at Hot Topic, I got away with a lot of shit when it came to dysphoria. It was like the first job that kind of like allowed me to wear skirts to work. Mm -hmm. So I was just a weird black kid who wore a skirt. But it was made of leather, so it was, like, hardcore. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, so, like, I, I got to do that. So I would have those moments of dysphoria. But, like, the mall was a place where I got, it could even get away from that sometimes. Even though, like, our store here was, I think it was uh, Ann's. It was, like, a little boutique. And they had, like, all these really cool dresses and purses. And I'd walk past and then kind of stare. And they'd be like, what the fuck's that kid doing? Yep, <laughs> like, yep. Uh, it's, like, longing. But you don't need to know that. Did you ever have a, have a mall partner? Uh, you know, it when it came to like a partner to hang out with, yeah. Uh I had a couple of them that we used to go and 
that was probably towards my later time in life, you know, when I, I would go kind of on my own and we would go see movies uh, okay. together. I actually went to go see Gladiator on Mother's Day, which uh, made my mom very upset. And I didn't know why at the time. I was like, I was here part of the day. It was fine. And then, right. you know, it was kind of a big deal. So I stayed out way late and we went to Burger King because I worked there and got like these loaded, you know, burgers that were that thick. See, I actually got burgers when I went to Burger King. <laughs> I actually got <laughs> food, me. but they were like that thick and they'd pile them on and you you get, you know, a crazy amount for 69 cents or whatever it was. And, you know, you go see a couple movies and it was cool. So I, I, I'd go and hang out with them. I did get to witness... Uh, we went to see Wing Commander, so that's taken it a, a while back. If yeah. anybody remembers that movie with Freddie Prince Jr. in it, holy shit! <laughs> what a bad movie! And it got so bad that somebody goes fuck this movie and threw a fully loaded soda right at the fucking screen, and it just splattered all over the screen. And the cops came, they shut the movie down, and everything. It's like. <laughs> it was it was hysterical to see it was it was just like that sticks out in my mind a lot but yeah we'd we'd go to movies and hang out you know mostly at the arcade and that and that was that was kind of like you know the the two same guys who all protect their innocence because you know yeah whether yeah. i should or not <laughs> Right, right, right. Uh, my we'll, movie we'll just, experience. We'll we'll just call them Alex and Cheesebox. We'll just say that they know who Alex they are. and Cheesebox. Yeah, right, cool, cool. Um, my movie experience. We had a, a movie theater called Movies Ten. Mm -hmm. um, it was a. It was at first. It was like a really small, dinky, like cinema, like like theater. It was like one room. There was like one movie shown a week, and then it kind of like grew from there, and it became like uh, movies. Uh, I think it was called Cinemark. I think that's what it is now. But when we first started going there, like did the whole thing where you got to buy the ticket to get in. You got to wait in the line to get in the door. Like the ushers will check your tickets when you got in. I think the whole reason why they don't really do shit like that anymore is as much as they used to is because my generation was just like, yeah, we're going to get in this movie. Yeah. Period. Whether you like we're it or pass not. The same stuff back. Like we were doing like weird shit. Like we knew like, oh, they checked me already. Take this stuff and give it to that person. And like, we were just passing back. So one person would pay for a ticket. We, it's like four of us would watch a movie for free. And I think the movie that we went to was, uh, this will show how old I am. Uh, I went to opening day of Titanic. Okay. Yep. With my friends from the mall on a whim because we wanted to make fun of the movie because, and everyone's going to feel a little bit bad about what I'm about to say. We wanted to laugh at white tragedy. <laughs> we wanted, we was like, look at this, look at this. Kings of industry. They built a boat and forgot about the ice cubes. Yep. That's what they get for putting Irish and blacks in, in, in the bottom of the boat. <laughs> That's what you get. So yeah, we went there and we got kicked out because I laughed at a very particular scene. Now, you know the scene where the boat is now tipping and Rose is holding on and a guy is right next to Rose and Jack holding on and he lets go and he hits the propeller. Mm -hmm. I fucking <laughs> lost it. I lost it. Mind you, when the movie started, that's a, that's a ways in the movie. 
and me and my clique were in the very back row of this movie theater smoking weed <laughs> like <laughs> like we just lit a joint like this is our fucking place we snuck in here we just we we were living really live like being a mall rat means like you kind of needed some attention too so you were just into the chase like we're gonna watch as much of this movie as possible when they come for us we're just gonna deny and then run <laughs> so yeah. we're sitting in the back of the movie we're smoking weed this scene's coming up. I'm already talking loud because, yes, I'm one of those black people who talks throughout the entire movie. Deal with it. Um, <laughs> I'm already talking loud. I'm already being an asshole because my mom and dad wouldn't pay attention to me. And I was also trans and couldn't tell anyone. So I was just showing out. I had to be rebellious as hell. So uh, uh, completely genuine. When the man hit the propeller. I've never laughed so hard in my life. And someone was like, for God's sake, this was a tragedy. And I'm like, and they paid hundreds of dollars for that. Yeah. They they paid hundreds of dollars to get on a boat and travel to New York in complete luxury and going way too fast. And they hit an iceberg and they died. Ha ha ha. And uh, this guy went and told on the people. And naturally, we did what we weren't supposed to do. We ran towards the screen and then we exited on the doors that don't take you out of the building, but take you behind the screen. Mm. So we got chased behind the screen during that movie and the hijinks and shoes. Like I had lots of fun at the mall, but like uh, I wish I, I could explain it in a more vivid picture. Like, like you really should check out Kevin Smith's version because it's kind of close to what my experience was. It was a lot of the like not so cool kids being cool in that space. Like I never felt cooler than when I was in the mall with my friends, because at least I was like with my friends and it was just like a carefree thing. Like we didn't really care that we didn't have a lot of money. We were going to make a way out of no way, but it was just the, the ability to like have a place to congregate. And, and even though it was like the fucking epitome of capitalism, like we were surrounded by, it was just a place for teenagers to like, just kind of congregate and meet and for ideas to like, and like pop culture to like thrive. Like a lot of the stuff, the music stores, the bookstores. One of my favorite places was when Barnes and Noble started like showing up in malls. You remember like, Walden Books at all? I do remember yeah, Walden Books. Yeah, that was a good place. Yeah, I was in Walden Books all the time. That's when like I first thought, saw a gaming store for the first time. I was like, yep. what? Like like video games? They're like, no, there's more to games than just video games. And I was like, oh, really? Like it was like kind of just opened my eyes to like newer things that were happening commercially because like in our house we didn't like shop a lot we didn't get a lot of clothing or we didn't have a lot of high technical stuff like we were really poor so seeing all that stuff was just kind of cool for me we talked about music now let's talk about food we like i know you said you worked at burger king i worked at burger king yep what was your favorite what was your favorite food in the food court oh okay so for me, like pizza was a go-to and, and still is to this day. But I always loved the places that said that they were like New Orleans style food, but it was basically like a different version of Chinese food. Right. Americanized Chinese food with the bourbon chicken. Yes. And, yes. you know, you'd always have somebody with a sample and you would try to see how many times you could get a free sample before they'd cut you off and be like, you were already here like 20 times. You're not getting yeah. another free sample. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. That was him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, it's look nothing alike. Right. You, you know, 
Like I'm an entire woman. That was him. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like, seriously. How could you not? I, I am offended by this. Right. Oh, oh, so there's only one black person walking around in a leather skirt <laughs> and bright purple lipstick? There's only one? The, we all look alike? The, the giant six foot tall at, you know, 12 years old kid. You know, right. that not too many of us walking around either, but that was uh, that was my experience. It was the same thing. It was like, yeah, we already know that you got some. It's like, it wasn't me. <laughs> Give me my free chicken. Yeah, that bourbon chicken was crazy. But like here it was for me, it was Hunan Wok and they did the bourbon chicken, too. Mm hmm. And they did the same, like, same thing. Like, you get one sample, and then you and your friends would try to, like, raw dog them to get a whole bowl of this chicken. Yeah. Like, somehow throughout the day. Yeah. But if we if we made enough, if we came, if someone came with enough, uh, you used to be able to get, like, a plate of this stuff, which was in a big container, and it was, like, $4. And it literally would feed four people. It was a good value. I mean, it was, like, they jam-packed that full for you. Which is why they're no longer in business. Yeah. Uh, but my favorite, favorite, favorite food of all time, and this is once again showing how I was a teenage she-devil, was Roy Rogers, which oh, only survived yes. only survived in Rochester Mall life for a year. Mm -hmm. Like, it was in Arondequate Mall. Uh, it was only, like, it, it a lot of people even here who were around at that time, like, there was a Roy Rogers in here? Yeah. Yes. And the reason why it did not succeed, because Roy Rogers' business plan was, what we're going to do is, we're just going to continuously make burgers all day. We're going to wrap them in cellophane. We're going to pile them as high as possible. We're going to make fries the same way, chicken fingers the same way. We're going to make chicken sandwiches, fish sandwiches. We're going to make all that stuff the same way. And then what we're going to do is we're going to walk them from one space and put them in the middle of the room. And then we're going to ask you to honor code and pay for whatever you take. Not my crew. No. That's not what happened. No. Well, I would walk in there and leave with my kickwear pants. If you remember kickwear pants, they were elephant style jeans. Like they were like, I think like 16 to 24 inches around at the leg. Jenko's kind of and, and, same style. Yep. Jenko's and kickwear were pretty much the same style, except for kickwear would make things that weren't uh, exclusively denim. Okay. So, uh, we would go in there and my kickwear jeans would be on point. It had lots of pockets in it. It had pockets with like buttons. It had pockets with like straps. It had zippers in it. Like I'm talking about, I would fill up my pockets with Roy Rogers. And then I would take a cup and ask for water. I would get the biggest cup they had and I would fill it with cherry cola and I would walk the fuck out. And I would do that sometimes two to three times a visit. The double R bar burger was, yeah. that was where it was at. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That, that was a stunt. Uh, mall rats and gays pull stunts. Yep. I pulled lots of stunts in fucking Roy Rogers because like the nerve of you to pile food in the middle of the room and be like, hey, give me a dollar when you leave. No. <laughs> like, no, I will not. You are out here living in this decadence, making these burgers, whatever you want. I'm going to take as much as I possibly can. I'm paying you nothing. Like, I think I literally got caught one time and they only caught me with one thing and it was a dollar. Can you imagine them trying to pull that today, though? Like, I mean, not at all. Not at all. Because I would just pass on that knowledge 
to my children's yeah. children that yeah. we don't pay for Roy Rogers. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not paying for this shit. If you got a lot of it, uh, I'm just going to take. Like, we, like, I mean, I think, like, our experiences are very similar, except for they just came from two very different places. I was a scoundrel. <laughs> and you were a child. Yep. Yep. I just went but, with my mom and dad. No, nah, not me. I went with my crew and we were we were the fucking dead rabbits. We were just stealing. <laughs> we were just stealing. It was just a bunch of like sometimes we were wearing animal fur, tails, bat wings. We yeah. were the weird kids. Like we were just like a, a band of colorful rogues just walking through the fucking mall. Uh like just causing trouble. And then to have so much fun and be brown. Like the the level of fun I had at the mall being a mall rat was literally illegal. They were like, black people smiling? Yeah. No. <laughs> Stealing and still not going to jail? How Doing dare. drugs in public spaces? Um, wildest thing you ever did to mall. I mean, before you start, apologize to your parents if you need to. Um, God, you, you know, I'm trying to think of any wild shit that I actually wound up doing other than, like, shaking the... Uh, well, I I would I would shake the the fucking coin pusher machine, and they they later put the alarms on them so that you couldn't do that anymore. Uh, but so you couldn't get change out of them. Oh, well, that was the thing. Gambling was illegal, so they would spit out tickets. But that was a way to get a whole bunch of tickets real cheap. Is you put your coin in, and then you'd you know go and just nudge the machine a little bit yeah. and then you get a shit ton of tickets and then, you know, wind up with whoopee cushions and, you know, a whole bunch of Tootsie Rolls and shit. That's that, that was like the extent of it. I, I more or less watched other people's shenanigans cause I was the, the quote unquote good gifted kid. So that was, that was kind of, kind of my shit. You know, that you're so innocent. I feel like this episode, I'm corrupting you. Well, now I'm finding out, you know, did, did you have dare as a kid? Like in yes. school? Yes, I did. So it was bullshit for, <laughs> for those people who don't know, it's going to be a little bit of a side, you know, gesture, but dare was, um, it, it was an acronym uh drug advocacy resistance education or something drug avoidance yeah. uh you know some sort of acronym like that and they made it seem like every single fucking person on planet earth was going to offer you drugs at any given time and the 80s ronald reagan and nancy reagan were really big into it really pushing for it to the point that they would go and they would put like warnings on the fucking arcade machines say no to drugs and they'd yep. have it on every arcade machine that was out there you'd see that logo it's the same logo you know and if you download arcade games you'll still see it to this day uh because it was embedded in the fucking board i always thought oh my god i've got you know i i need to know how to say no because you know it's not something i want to do and the first time that i was ever offered drugs was in cabo san lucas when i was 34 years old 
<laughs> and I was like, okay, so it's not something that's wrong with me because I figured something, you know, I had fucked up. Like people don't want to approach me with drugs so that I could say, no, I'm good. Thank you. Um, I thought that I was messed up. And I mean, you know, you can say what you want, yes or no, but um, that was that was something that was so prevalent in the culture of that time that you figured, you know, somebody was going to offer me something. And like, I couldn't go and seek this shit out because I didn't know where to go. And it was just a wild time. So, you know, when, when I'd sit at the mall, like, I didn't know what the hell was going on. And like, you're so innocent, like uh, yeah. the wildest thing I ever did in the mall involved drugs and teenage sex. Okay. Um, I, I feel like a terrible person. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so the movie theaters weren't not just for smoking weed and heckling movies. It was all so for like touching titties and shit and, and, and doing weird stuff with genitals like dry humping. Uh, <laughs> me and my first girlfriend uh, got caught uh, dry humping in the back of a movie theater because we thought that's what sex was. <laughs> like you just rub your genitals, you rub your, your, your middle places together and then a baby is born three weeks later. <laughs> like I was like 12. Obviously. The stork um, comes. Yeah, I was like 12. I had no understanding of like any of this stuff. Um, we also uh, got kicked out of the mall years later because the first time I ever rolled out and looked that up in the background, um, I did ecstasy for a little bit when I was young. So, uh, yeah, bad choices all around. I bought ecstasy once again from Burger King. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we might have to mute out uh Burger King, so I'm going to say it from now on as BK. I went to said dealer, and I was like, hey, I would like a, a burger, a hold the pepper. And he was like, I got burgers, hold the pepper, but I want you to try the stuff. Here is four of them. Give them to your friends, take them with a soda, and tell me how you feel in a couple hours. So it was a Saturday. It was 11 o'clock, right when lunch like started. And, like, I took these things with my stolen cherry cola. And um, me and my friends uh, tripped balls in the mall. In the, when we were in the arcade for, like, six hours. Just staring at lights and sitting on the motorcycles. Feeling like we were playing, like, Road Rash. When, like, actually, we were just loud, drug-fueled children. Just standing in the space, creeping out the attendant for six hours. We stood in timeout for six hours. And I thought I had the greatest day ever. And he was like, you literally stood right there and you stared at a screen for like an hour. Then you moved and you did it somewhere else for like another hour. So like my time in the mall was uh, riddled with uh, debauchery and shenanigans. And yours is really family friendly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was I was rated like PG version of of the mall. And that was that was like a, a different side that I never really even saw. And it existed in the same space. Yeah. I guarantee you there was a bunch of kids like us at, at, at your local mall. Here, uh like 
the gravity of what a mall was. It was like a hub for teenagers. Like everything in it was geared towards like teenage consumption. Because if you walked in there and the lights were bright and there were like all these options, if you talked about it enough, your parents would eventually break down and take you. Yep. That was not the case with our parents. With my parents, they were like, I don't give a shit about that stuff, boy. We ain't nobody got no money for that shit is what my dad would constantly say. That is a direct quote, not me misgendering myself. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was like, ain't nobody got time for that shit, boy. We don't have money. Um, and then he would go and buy drugs. So I would lash out and mimic uh, his hatred for the world by going to the mall to steal and buy drugs. <laughs> like, uh, to each their own. Uh, I learned it from, that's a dare commercial. I learned it from watching him. Yeah. Uh, reference, reference that quote. I learned it from watching you, dad. I learned it from watching you. We've been talking about the mall for a while. I think I might make this a double episode. I think I, I think we there's another there's another thing a topic that we should talk about and we talked we touched on it a little bit in uh, Tale of Two Ships and I think we're gonna revisit it if you can just give me a couple seconds to do this thing that I do that everyone should know that I do which makes us all adults which is legal in my state so if you hear click click uh, bubbling and coughing you already know um, I'm gonna take this hit we'll be right back in a second. Be an adult. Well, and now we're back. <laughs> uh, so we just had a riveting conversation about the era of the mall rat and how drastically different our experiences are. And I'm realizing that I am the Fire Nation. Mm hmm. It's yeah. so weird that yeah. I'm the fire nation. Yep. You'll get the reference. I speak in metaphors. It, it happens. You've been here long enough to know what I do. Um, <laughs> so this episode, I want to talk about, and if you want to know the strain and the reference, you should be listening to the entire episode. This is going to run concurrently. I wanted to talk about, like, just kind of revisit a topic that we brought up the last time you were on, and that was on Tale of Two Ships. Uh, that was a few episodes ago. We talked about this phenomenon that happens amongst us. And I just kind of was wondering, is it universally happening to all of us? Trans people can sense each other, even when they don't know that that's what they're sensing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, it, yeah, like thinking back to like, like when you and me first met, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's something that really is very interesting. And I never knew about it until I experienced it more and more you you would always have that in the back of your mind and i think the way that you described it was there was something that you knew about me that you didn't exactly know what it was and then once you come out then you start to figure out oh yeah that's what it is and it, it was interesting because I just had an example of this. I was down at Dragon Con uh, last weekend, actually, nice. uh, for Labor Day. Awesome time. Uh, highly recommend it. If you're a nerd, uh, head down to Atlanta. It's a good time. It's a pretty safe space uh, in the convention. Lots of queer people there. So I really had a good time. And... I went and to kind of set the scene for everybody, uh, it's a ticketed event. So you go down there, you get a ticket, 
and you have to pick up your badge. It's in a series of like these five interconnected hotels. Some of them actually connect via Skybridge, so you can just kind of walk over, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, you don't even have to go the fuck outside, which is amazing because in Atlanta in August or September, it's hot as shit. It's always Labor Day weekend. So this line, unfortunately, you do have to stand outside and it was wrapped around the entire hotel. So we go oh. and we took a <laughs> 7 a.m. flight out of Cleveland. So we got down there at like 830. We were hungry. We need to go to Waffle House because, you know, it's Atlanta. And what else? Waffle yeah, Waffle House is good shit. The, the true melting pot of America. You know, you want to see people of all shapes, sizes, colors, sexualities, genders. They are there. Right. Um, it's it's an amazing place. It, it feels kind of like a bastion of normalcy uh, in most areas of the South for me. So we, we go to Waffle House. We have our food, awesome meal, come back, and we're going to finally wait in a line to get our badges. So we're walking towards the Sheridan, and I hear a voice that says, hey, could, could you help me out here? And I said, yeah. And they said, you know, is, is this the line for the, the Sheridan? And I could sense immediately, this person's trans. And... Yeah. He goes and, you know, he just has that demeanor about him. He just, you know, we just kind of connected. And we had this big group of like five people. And he came to me directly, specifically, like walked past my friends and specifically came to me. So I'm like, yeah, you're you're trans. So I started framing my questions, you know, just to evoke a couple of things and started dropping a few nuggets like, you know, well, you know, since I came out, that kind of thing. Right. And he says, oh, yeah, I've been on TV for four months and, you know, I've never been happier. I'm from Texas. And, you know, that's a whole that shit. Yeah, no shit. That's a whole thing. If you don't know what's going on in Texas, please look it up. Educate yourselves. It's a very real situation. It's horrible. It needs to stop because it's it's very fucking dangerous right now. Uh, for anybody who's trans or LGBTQ plus in general, um, it's sad. But um, yeah, I mean, they he said, I've never been happier. You know, I'm here with my boyfriend. And I started listening off all the stuff that there was to do down there and all the different memes that have uh, been generated from the convention over the years like that it, it's they talk about carpet there's a whole meme with the fucking old carpet of one of the hotels that's that's how deep this rabbit hole goes it's it's amazing but uh, yeah I, I mean he obviously felt comfortable with me and sensed that I was trans and as soon as he started walking up to me I could get those vibes too. And yeah. And it's like, not like a, it's not like an assumption. It's not like yeah. an assumption ever. It's like you, you, you feel this thing and you're like, Oh no. Like it's like not, Oh no. But like, you're like, Oh, there is another trans in my vicinity. I can sense them. I can feel how uncomfortable they are because there's no other energy on the planet that matches mine <laughs> rather yeah. than a trans person. Like it's, 
I, it's like the quickening. It's like um, I was uh, I was in Denver. I got off the air off the airplane. I'm going to go visit um some friends. Shout out to my friends. You know who you are, Haley and B. What's up? Wait, wait, wait. Um, <laughs> ah, ah, ah. um so, right. So I'm getting off the plane and I'm like terrified because I haven't left New York State at that point since I started transitioning. Like I literally like kept myself like in New York State in one space because I just my bubble got so small from the lack of feeling safety in mm -hmm. public anymore. And like, so now I'm walking through the airport and I've got my head down. I'm moving pretty fast. I feel uncomfortable because I'm dressed how I feel comfortable, but how I feel comfortable is I feel comfortable as a, a lady in public and people are looking at my body and like judging me. And this person all the way across like the promenade sees me and we lock eyes for a second and we just both knew. And it was like a drawing to each other that we were like, oh, we're not safe, but we're safer together. Mm -hmm. And this person, like, cause I had to catch a train from the airport to the um, downtown. Uh, like, I think it was like downtown Denver. Then we had to drive to Aurora. Um, and that was like an hour and a half drive. This person stayed with me the entire time. We never once spoke about like, transition or transness until like at the end i was like hey like it was really nice of you to help me out thank you so much like uh do you have like a social media or anything that i could follow like like uh is it cool if i give you my instagram and they were like yeah and like i i gave them mine and mine says like trans blah 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 at the top of it and like theirs says like they them and i was like oh, i was right yeah the entire time like i was right the entire time like i think we just sense each other out of like the need or lack of us the frequency of seeing another one of us comfortable yeah if that makes any sense that like what like what i'm saying is like i never feel comfortable in public i feel so much more so comfortable when i'm around others who are like me and it's so rare a lot of people don't realize um what it's like to walk in a world and not see yourself mm-hmm and we've been arguing about that while COVID's been going on about representation, representation, representation. It's really hard to find representation of you out in public when what you are is attacked. So when you finally see it, it's like, wow, like one, like good for you. You were brave enough to come outside today. Look at me. I'm also out here today. And if something happens to you, I'm here. If something happens to me, you're here. Like, there's, it's not just me anymore. It's us. And, like, that feeling is, I sense it all the time, everywhere. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the times when I go out and I go places, I do have a, a decent network of friends who are trans. Yeah. So I'm able to go to conventions and have them with me, or I'm able to go and grab food and I, you know, have one of them there. Um, I've gotten a little bit more comfortable as time has gone on, but I think that that has come from the ability to have those friends there and to have those social experiences. And then to finally, you know, step out onto your own and it's still extremely unnerving like you said i mean it's it's one of those things that you 
if you don't have people there with you, there's that whole I'm alone and if I get attacked, nobody's going to be there for me potentially. Yeah, like I, like my experience is like I have a handful of friends here and they have like lives and stuff like that. So it's it's kind of a lonely road sometimes. Like we stay in touch with phone calls and stuff like that, but we don't see each other nearly as much as we should. And my my lifestyle reflects how unsafe I feel because like I don't I rarely leave my house. And if I leave my house, I rarely leave my neighborhood. My bubble has got so much smaller, but there's those pockets of time where I do go out or like, I don't feel more unsafe as a trans person ever than when I'm near a public bathroom. Yeah. Oh yeah. And there's been several instances. Cis women have done this as well, but more often, more often, like another trans person sees me struggling with like, am I going into this bathroom? And like they will sense it from me, not assuming what I am, mm-hmm. but just being like, it's always been like that, that question, like, oh, d- d- are you okay? Do you need help? Well, do you want me to go with you? It just comes out of nowhere. And it's not like they were like assuming or being nasty about it. It was just like they would come out of nowhere. And it, it was like we can sense each other based upon that. We can also, I feel like it's built into us because we are connected. I, like I said before, I I've said this in other episodes, I think trans people are divine. Uh, I think by virtue we're divine. We we experience uh, energy that other people completely deny all of the time. And to experience that um, connects all of us. We all share that experience. But um, I went to a bathroom in Walmart. I've, and I've literally only been to Walmart like two times since this happened. I went to a bathroom in Walmart and a lady had a problem with me being there. This was like one of the first times that I went to a public bathroom by myself and a lady had a problem with me being in there. And I was accused of not belonging there, of being a man, of putting women in danger. So what she did was she left the bathroom and I thought it was over with. So I went to the bathroom and did what I needed to do. I'm coming out and wash my hands. And as I'm washing my hands, other women are walking into the bathroom and all of a sudden this man comes barging in past them and he's yelling at me for being a man in the bathroom not realizing that sir you are indeed a man in the bathroom mm-hmm. and you're making everyone uncomfortable you're yelling and screaming and threatening people and no one knows that i'm trans other than you yeah it ends you know, there's a multitude of issues with the bathroom. I think, you know, North Carolina kind of really started highlighting it with bathroom bills back in 2014, 2016. Uh, you know, it, it was just, it was such a hot button issue at the time that the word spread to people and they kind of got it in their heads that something awful is gonna happen. Um, and I guarantee you that the person who feels most uncomfortable in the bathroom when we're in there is us. We're always, always the most uncomfortable in the bathroom. I don't, you know, I want to go, I want to pee, I want to wash my hands and I want to leave. I I want absolutely nothing to do with you while I'm in the bathroom. Like I'm the most afraid person in the bathroom, bar none. Like we, we don't even have to debate it. If, if a cis woman comes across me and she's afraid in the bathroom, she's not as scared as I am because I know the power of cis white woman 
fear. Yep. And, and and as a trans person, like being able to have someone sense that and help is amazing. Uh, that instance, the man barged into the bathroom. He threatened me. He made a bunch of accusations about why I was in there. He called me a predator. He said I was probably there to like uh, sexually assault someone. And I literally went in there to pee and to leave because I was terrified. And the way it was handled by Walmart was terrible. Um, they like accused me of going in there to start an issue. And I was like, no, I went in there because I wanted to go to the bathroom. That's why people go into bathrooms. Uh, they called the police, but the police let that man go after he wouldn't let me out of the bathroom. And like, of course. they had to come in and get him. Uh, so since then, uh, there have been instances where I like can be visibly shaken by just something as small as needing to go to the bathroom. And I live in a place where it's protected. I live in New York where like they said, like you go to the bathroom, you're a trans woman. That that means you're a woman. You go to the bathroom. But like, I still live in a space where people believe that that uh, law is um, some benefit that I don't deserve. And having like women, other, other trans women, uh, other trans people since that when we on offering to be at the door is super comforting or offering to be there. And I think that sense of each other is like, I've, it's, it's happened to me in grocery stores. It's happened to me in clothing stores. Uh, anytime I've yeah. had to <laughs> shout out to Torrid. Um, I was in Torrid and I was super uncomfortable because I was there to buy bras. Yeah, I said, right. Bras. bras. <laughs> I went there to buy bras and the lady, uh, she wasn't rude or anything like that, but she was visibly uncomfortable because she knew that there were other people in the store that might not be comfortable with me being there. Um, and I could see in her mind, I could see the wheels turning, her trying to figure out a way to like help me and minimize like conflict with these people. And while she was doing that, like another trans person literally walking by, just walked into the store, walked over to me, started talking to me and was like, oh, yeah, I work. I used to work at Frederick's Hollywood and like I can do it. I could do it for you if you'd like. And like just she measured me. The other lady like ran interference and got the other ladies out of the shop. And then they just both kind of helped me shop. And I was like, I was calling for help in my mind. And this and they, person, this other trans person showed up to help. Yep. It was like a fucking trans beacon. It was like, it was like trans whispering. It was weird as shit. And I've, it's happened to me so much that I was like, it can't just be happening to me. No, it, I, it's, I feel like it's universal. Yeah. And, and especially revolving around changing rooms and bathrooms and everything else. It's like, there's so much more comfort of having that reassurance that at least somebody is there that will be able to help defend if something happens, because, you know, we, we are the, I, I don't know how to put this, but we're, we're basically the unprotected class when it comes to this, even if there are laws in our favor, uh, like in New York, we are the unprotected class when it comes to this. Right. 
Discrimination is still at an all-time high here in New York, even though there are protections for trans people. Discriminatory stuff still happens on a daily basis, and it's something is what people believe is small-ass misgendering to violence, uh, even though I've said it in the past, and I'll say it again. Misgendering is violence. Yep. Uh, I think that collectively, because of the strife and struggle that trans people have endured over time, that it is built into us to sense each other. Yeah. I think it's a defense mechanism that we have to have. Right. And it's not about assuming hand size or, or body shapes or anything like that. It's just this feeling you get. Like, it's literally like being Duncan McLeod with the Clan McLeod. That makes me old. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you look up that term. I just said Duncan McLeod with Clan McLeod. There can be many, right. not just one. Well, when it comes to channels, there can be only one. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is only one you. Uh, the Kurgan of trans of trans people, <laughs> the demiurge of trans women. <laughs> um, it's like a feeling, like I, I can't. It, I feel it in my belly, and in my head, it's almost like a whisper, like "oh shit," like like a wind chime that someone else near me understands exactly how I'm feeling because they're going through it. The night that we sat down at and Taylor Two Ships, where I like came to your table in that bar, I knew you were like me. I just wasn't sure. And I definitely wasn't sure about how the people around you felt about it, but I knew. Yep. And I was like, I can't say it out loud about myself. And I'm sure that they can't say it out loud right now. But I knew. It It was a very mixed crowd. And... You, you had that feeling and I had that feeling and it was like, there's something. I just don't know what it is. When we were, when I was wrestling that night, we were surrounded by, it was a big house that night, right? It was like a yeah. couple thousand. I think it was like, yeah. like a thousand people. Yeah. It was, like, it was a very big one. It was a big, it was a big crowd that night. And like out of all those people, I'm, I was an entertainer. I'm, I'm sent out there to do my job. My job is to be a heel. My job is to find energy that I can mingle with. It's built into my career. Like how I can use another person's energy to like entertain the entire rest of the room. But it's also used by me to seek out those who are like me. And I remember coming out through the curtain, my music's playing, Lala's with me. I'm coming down the aisle and I immediately felt drawn to your crowd of people. I didn't know specifically who I was going to talk to. I didn't know who I was going to interact with. But the closer I got, the more I got that feeling. The closer I got, the more, the louder the chimes were. I could hear them louder than the music. My stomach was bubbling. It was it was it was something that like I was I was experiencing. It wasn't just in my head. And when you and I started interacting during the wrestling show, when I was heckling, you were heckling me and I was heckling back. I was like, that person is like me. Mm -hmm. That person is like me because this level of um, my comedy and all that other stuff, my characters and all that other stuff was a big part of my uh, stealth. Yeah. And the fact that you were as quick on your feet as I was that you answered as fast as I did. I was like, oh. So now we fast forward, the show's over with. I'm walking through this bar full of fucking people. White people, might I add. <laughs> uh, Very true. The, yeah, and I'm the heel black person from another town. And like, I walked past 
literally a hundred people to talk to y'all because I felt safe near you. I felt understood. And 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 that, that chime the whole time was ringing, 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 until I literally sat down and you and I started talking, and I was like, mm, "Are you trans?" Because <laughs> like, I'm trans. I just figured out, like after years of keeping this shit dormant, that I'm trans. Are you trans? Yeah. <laughs> like and yeah. like that was the feeling, and like I felt that it that was the first time that I felt it very strongly I felt it every time a lot of times since then but it was it's never been that strong as the first time like we literally interacted and had I saw you at shows before yes had I interacted with you yet no like for some reason there was like this like distance I think it was because I was I wasn't new to uh ESW at the time but I was just like really guarded at that time, because like a lot of the time I was being accused of being hyper feminine, even though I was the most masculine thing in the locker room. Did you know that was happening? I had no idea. Uh, you remember the black wings I used to wear? Yes. Those are Victoria's Secret wings. I got okay. called out for those. Uh, they were too feminine. I got called out for not hitting on girls even though like I dated girls, like I, the reason why I didn't hit on girls because I was in a relationship, not because I was gay. I was accused for being gay all the time. Like, cause like sometimes my, my stuff would break and people would see me vulnerable for a second and things like, oh, I love puppies and birds and I'm really into fashion. All of a sudden became a focal point. You're like that person has butt sex on a regular. Like they were just like, that person's having butt sex on a regular. And like, or- I was really guarded because I knew that my stealth was breaking. Or how dare you be a respectful person in general to women? I mean, that that to me is like, it's such a, uh, and especially at the time, I don't know if it's changed or not, but um, it's such a, a toxic um, place to be is that locker room in yeah. a lot of cases. And I know, I know that it was back in that time. Because uh, I've heard stories, and you know, some of them were from you. Um, you know, some of them were from others. But it was a very, it, it was a very toxically masculine place. You know, when I went to Waterloo, Iowa, and I went to the the Hall of Fame show there, all that the wrestlers wanted to do was go to the fucking strip club because you know that's where they could go and have their debauchery. And right, um, you know, to to call somebody out you know, for not hitting on women is like so fucking telling of that environment. Yeah, that was the thing. I was getting, uh, I used to get picked on and this was literally around the time that you and I met, like, cause that was like literally like the first time I went to a bar in a while after an after show. And it was because I didn't want to be part of debauchery. So like literally just being like, oh, I don't want to be here. I'm not comfortable. And then being like, oh, they're not going to steer me into anything that will make me feel uncomfortable. I feel safe over there. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Like walking through a whole room of people being like, no, I'm not hanging out with you. No, I don't want a shot. Like I literally turned down a bunch of shit walking over to y'all because I just felt super uncomfortable. Um, Cause before that I was, like you said, there was a lot of like, oh, we're going to the strip club and oh, like we're going to go do this and we're going to go do that. Uh, I've spoke about it in other episodes. If you ever bought me a lap dance, 
you wasting your money. Because when I got back there, the girl literally was allowed to sit down, take her shoes off and rest until the songs were over with. And then I would tip her and be like, don't tell anyone that I didn't touch you. Like, don't don't tell people that, like, I didn't act my role. You don't have to do any of that. Please have a seat. So uh, what I, I got tired of being in that environment because I was like, I'm just going to go eat and go home. So shout out to Supremes and, and shout out to Brody Lee for being having my back because uh, Brody and Lee and me, would we would go to Supremes after ESW shows. We would catch a sub and then we would leave <laughs> while everybody else was at the strip club. Me and Brody Lee were on our way home. Um, Brody Lee uh, had a um, has a wife and a family that he was just trying to get home to, and me, I was like, I'm, which Brody knew, I'm gay and I'm I'm trans, and I'm really not interested in going and objectifying uh, the form that I cannot have. Yeah, exactly. Like it make it it was a triggering uh existence for me being in strip clubs, like looking at bodies that I adore for the wrong for the right. No, not right reasons, but for what someone else would consider the wrong reason. Like they were being objectified and sexualized and I was in awe and jealousy. Yeah. I think if I would have known, because I don't know how many shows you went to, but if I would have knew that it was safe for me to tell you back then, I would have. Yeah. And I think that things would have been a little bit different because I feel like we would have hung out a lot more. I right. feel like we would have, you know, transitioned earlier, transitioned earlier because there was that safety and we did know, you know, and, and I think that that might've altered things a little bit. Not that it's, it's gone bad for me. I think it's, it was kind of the right time and the right place given the circumstances for me, but it, it would have made things different, but at the same time, I don't think either of us were necessarily ready. No, I think it was, I think I was I wasn't ready because of the sheer fear of like oh I'm gonna have no support. Um, I have supports now. It, it's not what I thought it was going to be. It was not as many people as I thought it was going to be. But I have some form of support. I don't have a lot of bloodline support, um, but I I do have some. But like um, I think for me, if I was able to vocalize it back then. I think I did, but it wasn't in a way that either one of us caught on to until years later. Yeah. And that was part of the like, oh, I sent you, but I, if in sensing you, I know that we're both in danger. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to out you, but I want you to know that I, that you and I are the same. Well, and, and again, you know, I, I think that I said on the last podcast that we had, but there, there's a lot of conversations with a lot of people that I've had that I've forgotten about from that time period. Yeah. That night in particular, especially stands out and there's no reason for it to stand out other than that. Right. Cause it was to everyone else. It was uh, on the outside. It was probably a trivial conversation, but I was so comfortable. I was sitting with another trans girl and I knew she was trans, but she didn't know that I knew she was trans and she didn't know that I was trans, but she knew I was trans. It was like we knew but didn't know. Yeah. And we were super comfortable. And it was kind of the banter that we're having now because I never feel this comfortable speaking with men. No. No. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, like, and even then, that was a thing that was going through my mind is I never feel this comfortable speaking to a man. 
in public or speaking to a man after a wrestling show because it goes a bunch of the, the same stereotypical ways. Let's talk about football. We didn't bring that up because I don't fucking know anything about it and I wasn't willing to pr pretend. Um, we didn't talk about sports of any kind. We at, In that conversation, neither one of us looked away from the conversation to objectify anyone or 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 try to one-up each other. There was no dick measuring contests. There was none of that stuff. And I was like, you're either a brand new, fresh wrestling fan or you are the trans. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about fashion a little bit. I think we talked about food, really. We talked about the show and like how fun it was. And then like, I, like there was little hints where I was like, oh yeah, like, like so what are you doing? You're not wrestling. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm a performer. <laughs> like yeah. i'm a performer oh well, what club do you work at well it's a, it's a really obscure club <laughs> <laughs> i didn't want to be like oh i'm a drag queen as well yeah <laughs> like oh the, the i wear clothes on saturdays when i'm not wrestling so that i feel less like this dude that i have to be all the time yeah <laughs> um there was no real judgments like there was no arguments there was this just this energy where i felt like oh i can pretty much talk to this person for the rest of the night and not have to worry about being offered weird drinks or being asked to go do something weird with some strange girl like because that was a thing that got offered to me a lot as this like hyper masculine like view thing it's like hey like my, you want to come outside with me and these girls and this girl wants to do this with you and this girl wants to do that with you it was not it was not toxic like that at all and it sticks out in my mind to this day and i've literally talked to thousands of air quotes fans mm -hmm. Th those conversations were always kind of superficial because i had to be the character that they wanted all the time. And it was like, when I got to talk to you, I was allowed to be human. Yeah, you could be yourself. Yeah, I didn't have to be on in the bar. Like, and that, like, that draw, I don't know how to explain it, but like, I draw from it every day. Like, I sense others in my neighborhood and I'm able to communicate with them without speaking sometimes. Like, I had an instance where I was walking by the 7-Eleven on my house, I've been walking a lot, trying to lose weight. I'm on my healthy shit. Um, and I saw a trans girl, and I just knew from across the way that she was trans. And it wasn't like, a, it wasn't visual. It was just a feeling. And like, she was walking with her head down, and she was walking really fast. And then I realized we were doing the same thing. And I was like, hey, how are you? And like, she stopped and from across the street was like, hey, how are you? And just that intersection, like that, that intersection, that moment where we got to like see each other and be like, I'm here too. I'm, I'm going to be near. I, I'm out here. You're out here. We're out here. That happened in like a split second and like it, I saw her smile and her head come up and her pace slowed down and the same thing happened to me and we parted ways but every once in a while I looked back to make sure she was okay she looked to see if I was okay and we walked in two different directions but like it happened for a while and like those moments that sensing others I, it's, I'm just really big on on the belief that it's it's in us yeah yeah Another thing that that happened, and uh, the person that was involved uh, knows who they are. Um, he listens to the show on a regular basis. So, um, a coworker of mine, actually, we were in a meeting together, and they had a focus group on diversity, trying to you know understand. Okay, are we serving 
our employee workforce the way that we should? Are we, you know, doing the things that we need to in order to to make sure that um, we're promoting a diverse workforce? And then they, you know, kind of took us off by sections. So they had the BIPOC community, they had the API community, uh, they had the Hispanic community, and then they had the gays. You know, we we had our our pride network, and I hadn't transitioned at the time, but I was planning on it. And uh, my friend Ashley brought me in, and she had transitioned, and she was kind of helping me out at work, and you know, trying to make sure that things were going to go as smooth for me as possible. Um, this was before COVID. Uh, we were all in the same room, and I saw my friend Chase walk in. Uh, who was not Chase at the time, and I was not Arwen at the time, uh, even though I was. Uh, but basically, he walked in, and I just got that sense. And Ashley was with us, and you know, she had transitioned; she was out at work, and I saw Chase, and I'm like, "That's another. That's immediately another." And, you know, he hadn't told anyone, he hadn't said anything, but I'm like, he's another one. Right. And, and we just, you get that sense of, yeah, yeah. Even, even if they're not out, you can yeah, just and, tell. And I want to, I want to preface, I like the, the rest of the conversation with the, I want to commit everyone who's listening to this, who is trans uh gender non-conforming um like just not i'm gonna say non-conforming gender expansive um the sense of each other is important to us and it's important that when you're in that moment that you remind yourself of the safety that you might have that's not afforded to the other person and if you're able to have a conversation with them and it's able to be a conversation that doesn't out them do so um but mind their safety always um and with that being said, I also want to say, like uh, uh, all the other transes out there that have sensed me, we we ride at dawn. Um, so um, when all the shit pops off, just follow the sound of the the chimes to me, and and we'll start a regiment of trans warriors. I love it. You know what I mean? Like I mean, like I mean, I think that's what it's for. I think it's like a beacon for us to all. Yeah. Like, I, I I keep referencing the Highlander, but like I think like I think that the sense the sense is that we were meant to be near each other and we're spread so far apart, but I want uh trans and gender expansive people out there to remember that we're just as random on this planet, if not more so now than redheads. That period of time where you're walking up the street and you see that really kind, like really strong man who seems really put together and gentle and you get that chime, you are in the presence of another. If you see that trans woman, uh, well, you see that nice woman up the street and she seems very aware of nature and she's and she's very attuned and she's very understanding you are in the presence of another. <laughs> um, I, 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 I want you to use that and, and know that that sense is a sense telling you that you're not alone on this planet, even though a lot of the times you might feel that way. Um, I in my beginning of my trans like my transition felt so alone. So alone, and I got to fall back on that moment in the bar. 
I knew that I wasn't alone, even though you were like miles away and like having your own experience. Cause we didn't talk for years after that. Right. Yeah. No, no. That was I was like one of the last times of me wrestling before I came out. I moved away. It, it was kind of funny because, you know, you, you kind of chose the path that I didn't at the time. Um, because you came out very shortly after that and I moved to Alabama and tried to repress everything and it did not work because that's not how this works. Right. Uh, guys, gals, and non-binary pals out there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I like that. I, I, I wish I could take credit for it. I heard it. I wish I could give the credit to the person, but I forgot you because I smoked a lot of marijuana. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like I, it was, I, I like right after that conversation, I felt at the time safe enough. I thought the world was prepared for us. Um, I was wrong. Uh, I I was wrong. Up uh, to an extent, I was wrong. I came out as trans. Uh, my career ended. A lot of my networks closed to me. Um, it's still kind of that way. It's like I'm not treated like a person. I'm treated like a phase. Like uh, uh, shout out to the motherfucker in wrestling who told people that my transness was a phase because I go through phases. Everyone goes through phases, but I've been trans longer than any phase I've been in. Yeah, like when you say phase, you mean like skateboard phase or like oh, like color phases. Like, like no, I I'm a trans person and um I came out as trans and a lot of stuff changed for me and I realized that that sense was a survival thing. Like that that first instance of it happening between you and me was like the first time it was like unlocked in me that my ability to sense others was my ability to survive. Again, defense mechanism. It's something that you need in this world with things the way that they are. Right. We need to have that connection with each other. Like we all need to go get like matching tattoos and we have to start the biggest circle ever. Like we could call the corners, guys. Yeah. They'll hear us if we call them. <laughs> I I will say I also I, I like the fact that you had that conversation about and and, and brought up the fact that you, you need to start up a conversation, not necessarily with the intention of going out there and, you know, discovering that this person is trans. But if you have that sense, they need to know that there's friendly people out there. They need to know that there's that support out there. And right. you can go and you can have a normal conversation with somebody and get that sense. And, you know, maybe eventually they'll feel comfortable enough confiding you know, their true self in you. But if they don't, then you've had a really cool conversation with somebody. So you don't have anything to lose. But it is very, very important for the person on the other end, you know, if they are trans to to have that and to have that sense and support. Yeah, there's safety in numbers and we are a beacon of hope to each other. And with that being said, my name is Kamrayin Elin Maharet Terrell, a.k.a. Tranos. Say it with your whole chest, or I'll unleash the eye of Thundera. <laughs> you got anything you want to say to anybody before we leave? 
Uh, no, it's it's always amazing being on this podcast with you. I think that we we could just record our uh, biweekly meetings and have those as like mini podcasts because we just wind up talking a bunch of shit uh, to each other. And it's it's kind of a highlight of my uh, every other week, just being able to to chat and, and to hang out. So, you know, that's cool. That's cool. Make sure you plug your show, plug your show. Oh, uh, Cardboard Time on uh, anchor.fm slash Cardboard Time or most major uh, podcast platforms. Uh, we do a new show every two weeks on Tuesdays, and we talk about all sorts of stuff uh, revolving around the board gaming world, uh, including reviews and uh, talking about my shelf of shame on my unplayed games, which uh, were at 3.30 one time and it's down to about 1.60. And uh, trying to humanize the industry. You know, there's people behind these games that you play and chances are it's not this big corporation. It's just, you know, somebody that's trying to put out cool stuff. And I like to talk to people that like putting cool things into the world. Nice. And I'm the executive producer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been... Tranos and the lived experience, the show that buried a dead wife, dead children, and it will have its vengeance.